Marriage. No matter where your marriage is right now, it can be full of hope, grace, change, and love. Listen in as we present Pursue Marriage Weekender 2023, a series of sessions and sermons where the Bible is celebrated, marriages are nurtured, and lives are transformed. In a few moments, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're going to find your place there, um, I'll direct our reading there in just a few moments. Let me make a few more comments, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Over the weekend, we were able to talk about marriage. And for my part, I, I talked about the idea of resiliency in marriage, the ability to overcome a hardship and bounce back and still be in that great place. You know, there's a lot that can be said about removing some of the negative attributes from our life. You know, we ought to look at the man, the woman, the mirror and think, I can be better than that. I, I, I can do better. I can be a better husband. I can be a better father. I can be a better wife. Yeah, I can be a better pastor. We, we, we ought to work on those things. To the degree that all of us can, we ought to try to bring to the table as few deficits as we can. But the reality is this. We're humans. We're sinners. We're, we're going to fail. And we're going to fail even in the midst of, of the home among the people we, we love the most. So the idea of resiliency over the weekend was this, is that you and I need to endeavor to make as many positive deposits into our life that we can so when the dings of life come, we, we can weather them. We, we, we can go ahead and pass on through those. As we talked a lot about memory building, we talked about honoring each other in the marriage relationship on a daily basis in, in just small and, and great ways and, and to invest in our marriage so we can develop something that I called a positive sentiment override. And by that, I mean this is that when you think about your marriage, you're thinking positively. You know, there's this, a Likert scale that we, we can say goes from 1 to 10, and we, and we can measure things on that scale. So, you know, with, with no hyperbole and, and no real effort at convincing, if someone looked at me and said, measure your marriage on a scale of 1 to 10, I, I would say it's in the super high nines. You know, I'd say 10, but that's not realistic because we're not perfect. But I love her. And I mean, I love her more today than I ever have. I'm not trying to be convincing. That's how I honestly feel. We have had 35 great years. And I don't mean there's not been difficulty there. There has been. We're people. And we've had some difficulty. But here's the thought. When the dings come, and they come, and they will, there's enough positive sentiment override that it's not a big deal. You know, it's like there's a debit in the bank account, but I got millions there. I don't. I wish I did. Um, but you get the idea. I, I can handle it because there's, there's so many memories. We've done so many great things together. We, we've had such an adventurous life, and we tell each other we love each other every day. When we mess up, we, we take care of it, we forgive, we apologize, we, we move on. So when life happens, we're okay with it. You see, the problem is this, is that a lot of us uh, you know, live in that opposite place. We live in the place of negative sentiment override. There's the absence of deposits, so we live with far too many deficits. And so now when another, another bad thing happens... We just plunge further into the red, and it becomes like a car without oil. You know, you can only ride that way for so long, or radiator without fluid. You know, if you do that very long, things are going to be decling and clank, and it's going to break down. And, and that's what can happen to our relationships. When we don't look at it positively, when we don't invest in it on a daily basis, when we don't say, I love you, that's a great job, and you look beautiful today. And, and we live with just the critique and criticism, that we put our marriages in a difficult place. And so the encouragement was... Do good things together. Build lots of memories. Fix what you can that's bad, but man, forge a path ahead and do better. Now, so we encourage a lot of things mechanical. Go on walks. 
you know, go on a date. This is really super simple stuff. But all that preceding the mechanics is a mindset. It's a kind of thinking. And thinking precedes doing. What's in the heart precedes what we speak. And so if you want to have the very best life, marriage, relationships possible, it starts in here and in here and it works out here. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So I want you to look in verse 3 of chapter 10 of the book of 2 Corinthians. The apostle Paul wrote these great words. And he said in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Stop there just for a moment. Carnal. The idea of carnality here means worldly, that which was evil, uh, uh, that which is not of the spirit, that which does not reflect the thinking and the mind and the heart of God. Okay, so he says, you know, the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, where did the strongholds reside in our heart and mind? This is the place we have to begin to manipulate and control. We have to be in control of our emotions and thinking, not vice versa. So we, we begin to pull down strongholds intentionally. And we cast down imaginations. What imaginations occur? In the mind. So what Paul is saying, take control of your thinking. Cast in imaginations for every high thing that exalts itself against, uh, itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. You direct your thinking to the obedience of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments as we consider, Lord, these commands which we are to obey in bringing our thinking or imaginations under your control, under your kind of thinking. Well, I pray you'd help us to do that. And such the simplest of things can take great effort. And Lord, I pray you'd give us the effort to accomplish what you ask here in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Pat, uh, Chapel, uh, Chapel, sorry, brother. <coughs> brother Chadwick, Brother Chapel's a friend as well. Um, brother Chadwick was talking about our family, and we're really grateful. You know, that's a gift from God, a great goodness to us. And I often tell people one of the reasons that our kids are in church is because our church loved our kids. And they just gave us a gift in that. They, they just were kind to our kids. They gave me the, Terry and I, the grace and space to grow them up and let them make mistakes. It's one of the greatest gifts the church ever gave me was just, just to love our kids. But they're there, and they, they married good spouses, and we're having kids. We have 12 grandchildren under three. Now, that's like a herd of rabbits. I mean, they are everywhere going, doing all kinds of things. And we have two that are older, and they're a blessing. But um, four years ago, uh, seeing this ever-expanding family, and I asked them, are you guys going to stay in church here? And are you going to still come over every Sunday and have lunch with us? And they affirmed that they like free food, so we said okay. And so um, um, we moved to another house. And so four years ago, we, we moved to a different house. And it was, we, instead of downsizing, we had to get a bigger house. It was on less property just to have a place to put babies down and, and to enjoy those uh, Fridays and, and Sunday fellowships with our kids. But before that, for 25 years, we lived in the same house. And it wasn't a, a very big house. Uh, it's amazing what you can accommodate if you want to. But it was on three acres. And right behind our house was a vacant field. And I say field, it was really like a, a big wildlife area. And we enjoyed that. We were able to hike and, and, and play back there. But um, with living in that area came all kinds of... Uh, wildlife into our backyard and some of those were bambi-ish you know these pretty deer and there were bunny rabbits and stuff and then there were other creatures too that would come and visit us 
And so we had on our house, it was one of the neat features of our house, it had a, a back porch all the way around. It was a wood deck. And it kind of swept all the way around the back of the house. Again, it wasn't real big. And it had lattice work, you know, around where the, the poles would have been. But <clears throat> animals, if they wanted to, they could get under the lattice work and take up residence there. And so there was a time in our house living in that place, populated by woodland creatures, that a number of skunks decided to take up residence under our deck. Now, I already affirmed this. There are skunks in California. Is that correct? Okay, I'm talking about animals, not people. Okay, animals. And uh, um, a family, maybe a community of them, decided to live under the cool shade of our deck. Well, you know, Terry and I are gracious. We probably would have been willing to share the underneath side of our deck with them, except for the fact that whenever these creatures felt threatened, or I guess the mood just hit them, they would utilize the defensive mechanism that God placed within them, and they would assault us and all those around with their noxious and foul spray. Everybody here spelled a skunk before? Okay. If you don't think about skunk spray, it's not just aroma. It's not like perfume. It's, just, it's not just a smell. It is an oil. And when they spray it, that oil embeds in everything that's around it, and then it lasts, not just for hours, but that smell can last for days. Well, they did this often enough that our house, attached to our deck, began to take on the permanent aroma of our uninvited guests. Can you imagine with me? Yeah, that, it, it just wasn't pleasant. Well, one particular night, uh, being involved in the ministry, Terry and I had gone to the hospital. There was a, a crisis that came up, and Terry and I had to leave the house. It was maybe 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. And we were returning home at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's 2 a.m. And so what we decided, it was just easiest. We walked on the back side of the house where the deck was at. And we had a sliding glass door over here to the side. And we just left it unlocked most of the time. And we, so we were going to come around the deck and, and, you know, slide the door open and walk in. We didn't have the lights on the porch that night. And so we're kind of hand in hand like we often are. And we walked to that sliding glass door. And I reached out to grab the door. And so between me and the door, something caught my attention, and I looked down. And I saw a skunk in the position. Now, you guys know how skunks spray. They get on their front legs, and they kind of hike up, and then kaboom. Well, it was a kaboom. And we did not only smell the spray, <laughs> we felt it. Man, it was like, you know, the cartoon Big Yellow Cloud we were embedded in the yellow cloud. It was everywhere. We went running. The skunk went running. It, it, was, it was an awful event in the moment, um, and we were covered in skunk spray. Man, point blank range. We had just been assaulted. We were trying to get the burning out of our eyes. We went in the house. I remember we took, like, tomato baths. We did all the stuff you're supposed to do. Um, I thought we did a good job. That The next day I went back to the hospital. I took the Bible that I had in my hand not thinking into the room, and people started going, what's that smell? And is there like an electrical outlet burning? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, that's my Bible. <laughs> we lost everything. Um, I, had to, I had to get rid of that Bible. The clothes that we were wearing had to be thrown away. Terry's purse was lost. The contents were lost. Everything we had on us that night, we had to get rid of. For weeks... We lived, and it may turn into a couple months, we lived unhappily 
with the skunks that lived among us. We were not happy with the smell they emanated. During that time, we tried to cope. I mean, you, you'd get it. We tried to cope. We tried to minimize the effects. We lit scented candles. We used profuse amounts of air freshener. And if you're not careful, that just makes things worse. At times, we just tried to ignore it. It's like, it is what it is. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think you can understand this. It's amazing what you and I can grow insensitive to. There are probably times that we can even maybe forget that that smell is there. That is, un until we have guests who come visit us and inquire about, you know, the smell and what's wrong in that environment. Though we tried many ways to cope and manage, uh, the smell was simply always there. We could not get rid of it. Now, I'm going to segue to a principle or truth here. I'm trying to make a point, not just tell a story. It was finally determined. There was only one way to rid ourselves of the smell, and that was to get rid of its source. We had to remove the skunks. It wasn't easy, nor was it pleasant. It took some time, but we finally rid ourselves of our woodland guests, and when we did, the smell was gone too. You see, this is so important, so elementary. To get rid of the smell, we had to remove the source. We had to remove the skunk. You know, in similar fashion, sometimes, there are nasty guests that take up residence not in our home, but in our hearts. And they're equally egregious. They're equally foul. What emanates from them can cause equal kind of damage and or harm. Their presence has a way of fouling things up, spoiling our lives, and spoiling the lives of those who would get close to us. They create a stink that cannot be removed, nor can they be managed. No matter our best efforts to cancel them out, these things are like stubborn habits, rooted negative routines, rotten attitudes, griping, complaining, criticizing, bitterness, anger, worry, anxiety. All these, like the woodland gas, can get in our hearts. They can stay there. And anyone who's paying attention would, would admit they readily admit a foul eminence from them. And if we're not careful as an individual, we're going to forget that they live there until someone reminds us. Things can live in our hearts for so long that we actually get used to them. We forget the impact, the effect they're having on our lives, our wives, our husbands, and our children. And so my encouragement today is this. As you ever get tired of living with the smell, the consequences, the damage of these noxious guests, the only way... To get rid of them is to get rid of the source. And for our purpose today, to get rid of the thinking that allows them to reside there. To remove them from the part of your heart that allows them to live on and affect your brain. And then to act upon these things. Negative emotion, bad attitudes, uh, destructive feelings all have the same effect. They diminish. They destroy. They diminish the quality of our lives. They diminish the quality of our relationships. They hurt our children, and they hurt other people around us. 
When they exert themselves, they affect our spirit. They, they change our mood. They make us difficult to live with. They negatively impact our spiritual life. And the result of that is we pray less. We have less energy to serve God and serve others. We diminish our joy. We're not as happy as we used to be. Our prayer tends to cease and diminish. Everything that otherwise would not look tempting becomes tempting because of the negativity. As well, I said, the joy of the Lord is a strength. A merry heart is good like a medicine. But these foul guests in our hearts destroy all of that. As a general rule, habits, feelings, and negative emotions flow out of our thought life. We become what we think. The Bible says, as a man thinketh. You know the rest of it? So is he. See, here's what we want to think. Okay. Hypothetical mirror. We want to think this. We walk up. We're just looking in the rear view of a recent interaction with someone, and we want to think, I did a bad thing. You with me? I see. I, I did a bad thing. I was mean. I was unkind in that moment. I guess fair. It's true. But you know what sometimes is more true than that? It's not just that you griped. It's that you are griping. You're a grouch. That's who you are. As a man thinketh. What's the next part? Maybe I, see, we, it's just me in the moment. I, I, yeah, that's true. It's fair. But if we're not careful, when someone's going to describe us in a few qualifying words, oh, you know, he is a grouch. Oh, he is a complainer. It's not just he does those things. It's that is part of the fiber and the character of who or she is. We've allowed things to reside in our hearts for so long that it's taken up residence in our hearts, and we emanate that at all times. So many of us blame life. We blame circumstances. It is our nature to try to remove culpability, try to remove blame for ourselves. And, oh, it's by circumstances. It's these events. I was mean because you did these things. I'm unhappy because things aren't paid for. This, this is, uh, this is, it's, it's a blame game. But the reality is, is we are the way we are because we let things reside in our heart too long. We blame. The truth is, life and the quality of our life is a function of what we allow to reside in our heads and our hearts. It's who we become. See, there's a principle from the Bible. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn there, but I want you to think about it. In the book of Romans, really always chapters from chapter 6 through 10, there's a teaching there about the mind. And the Bible says this, to be carnally minded. Okay, stop there. Carnally minded. To be worldly minded, to think with the philosophy of the world, to, to agree with the spirit of the age, uh, to, to let the emotions that are innate within, us, innate within us rule and reign, to be carnally minded, the Bible said, is death. Death. Okay, which the wages of sin is death, but the idea here is to be carnally minded leads us down a path, down a, a destination that always has a bad ending. It always has a bad ending. When you're angry, when you're haughty, when you're prideful, when you're arrogant, when you're unkind, where does that take you? To the places of death. To death of what? A death of relationship. To the death of love. To death to all things good. To the death of kindness. 
When we let our brains think carnally, we act, then we act carnally, and that destroys the beauty of the garden that could be there. But the Bible says this, conversely, that when we allow our minds to be spiritual, in other words, when we line ourselves with the truth of the Word of God, when we function this way, when we think of the things that are above, not the things that are beneath, when we control our emotions, and when we bring into captivity the negative thoughts we could have, that we, that we move ourselves, the Bible says, the place of life and peace. We've moved to a place where the outcomes of our conduct and character bring us to a happier place, a better place, a better marriage. And so I I, want to make some just applications from this. I want to make some points. If you're taking notes, here here would be my first point or my first thought with this application. Your thinking, my thinking, our thinking always takes us somewhere. They're not dead ends. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Okay. The issues of life, they, they flow out of the heart. It's, it's the mind. It, it's the way we think. As a man thinketh, so is he, so will he become. Thinking always leads to doing. That's the way it works. We always do and become what we think. We can't escape that. So the idea is is that our thinking can lead us to defilement in bad places, an unhappy marriage, or our thinking coming before emotion, coming before responses, our thinking can lead us to a better marriage. It's it's, it's that positive um, idea I was referring earlier. I'm going to think positive about my marriage, therefore I'm going to reach that desirable outcome. So most of us, you know, um, pastor was gracious to put up in a a hotel. And by the way, the Chadricks are just unbelievable guests and hosts. Um, as a church family, I want you to know that. They just treat people with the utmost kindness. But um, they put us in a hotel. And so, you know, Terry and I don't know where we're at in San Diego. You know, north, south, east, west. This, I know the ocean's that way, I think. I don't know. Um, but we're in a hotel. We're just a few miles away. So what do we do? Well, we understand that destinations take us somewhere. So we put it into Google Maps and we, you know, we, we find this place. And we curve around. And because we have it set in Google Maps, we get to the destination we're going to. This is not rocket science. The roads that you choose to travel are always taking you somewhere. They're always taking you somewhere. In Oklahoma, you get on I-169 going north, you wind up in Owasso. You go south, you get into the BA and Bixby and Broken Arrow. Like they, they go somewhere. And your thinking is always taking you somewhere. And so when you speak a certain way, we ought not be shocked when that thinking leads us to a destination. And if it's carnal, it won't be a good destination. It's not a place you want to vacation. And your marriage won't like it. And your kids won't like it. But when I think good thoughts, my thoughts align with the word of God, then going down that road, that thing is going to lead me to life and peace. It's going to lead to a happier marriage. Sir and I have deliberately tried to do things the word of God has said to create the marriage that we want that we're supposed to have. And when we align our thinking with the word of God, we get to those places. We experience either life and death, life or death, destruction or happiness, based on the direction of our mind, our hearts, and our thinking. Okay. Our thinking takes us somewhere. Thinking precedes response. Is that true? Should. When a rational tells you, it, it should. So here's the, here's the idea. 
um, most likely this week, you are going to receive stimulus. You, you're you're going to have input from your environmental world that affects your heart and mind. Um, when Terry tells me she loves me, those are words that come to my head, go to my heart, and they elicit a response from me. Okay. But let's say for a moment that something's unkind said to me. So I, I'm here as a person, and here's an outside stimulus source, and someone says something to me that I don't like. Worse yet, some, somebody says something to me that's unkind, or a hateful, mean word is said to me, or I, I, I made aware of backbiting or, or stabbing, or just there's some negative stimulus that comes to my mind, and all of a sudden what I want to do is I want to respond. I want to react. And how I react and respond is going to be a function of what I have put in my mind and brain before that moment. It's what's living there. Skunks or something better. Now, the abundance of the heart in that moment, I'm going to speak. I'm going to respond. So here's the kind of stimulus. It was in my heart. It's carnal minding. It's going to be boom, right back at you negative. It's going to be a terse response. It's going to be anger. It's going to be negativity. It's going to be pouting. It's going to be resentment. But it's, going to, it's just going to come out in a hurry. So to change that, we have to change deliberately our thinking. Okay, so here's what the Bible asks of us. Between stimulus and response lies a space. Okay. There should be a space where we respond thoughtfully and not react. And that space is almost omnipotent. It holds incredible power. Because in that space, you're going to decide, you should be deciding, am I going to be carnally minded and respond, or am I going to be spiritually minded and respond? Because what you choose is going to affect what comes next. Life or death. Peace or something ugly and hateful. There's a power. And what happens there is so important because in that space, we can literally change who we are. Because as a man thinketh, say it with me, what? So is he. So that little space can allow me to completely change my life. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is a power to choose, to respond to, to enhance a thinking that can grow us, that can change us, that can move us to more than the likeness and image of Jesus Christ and therefore get that fruit, or it can move us to a negative place in, in death and hatefulness. And how you and I respond there is so eminently important. So since that thinking is going to move me to a place, point number two is this. We need to set our thinking. We need to determine where we're going to go. Because our feelings and emotions always take us somewhere. And by the way, let me just say this. Feelings and emotions are part of our life as a human being, but they are supposed to be servants, not masters. 
And when you allow to be, you to be led by your feelings, which are most naturally carnal minus guidance, you're going to always go to a bad place. You have to be bigger than your feelings and bigger than your emotions. And you are supposed to bring them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You're to bring down these imaginations into the obedience of Christ. We're to control these things. Because our feelings and emotions are always going to lead us somewhere. It's important that we set our minds so we arrive at right destinations. So go back to the Google Maps. If I were to put someplace other than Canyon Ridge Baptist Church, I would not have gotten here. I set that as my destination. I chose us where I want to go. You say, well, that's mechanical. God has seen you had the same ability too. When I, when I tell you that I love her, you know, it's not because we're compatible. And we are to a degree, but no man and woman are ever really compatible. Like we're different creatures. You know, testosterone, estrogen, right brain, left brain. When Brother Chadwick talks about the life we've had, he chose it. Amen. I'm not lucky. And you say, I, I, grace of God, I get it. I do get that. I'm very fortunate. I'm not lucky. We've worked at it. Amen. We've been through our valleys. We've had some hard times. But we've done so many more positive things. I choose to love her. And you know what? I set my mind to that destination, and I'm always going to get there. I love my kids. I love my church. I love the Lord. I made those decisions. Yeah, I've had some favorable circumstances, but I think the reason the wind blows on my back sometimes is because I'm going down the highway that leads me to the right places. Now, I've made some other really poor choices, by the way, lots of them, and I've had to apologize for those and get those right. This battleground of the space between stimulus and response isn't always easy. The reason, you know, Canyon Ridge is having a great measure of success is because that's where he wants to go. And he's doing and saying the things that are necessary to get him there in this church family. The Bible is filled with this language. Like it's everywhere in the book of Proverbs. It's everywhere in the New Testament. I'm not going to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about, hey, listen, transform your thinking. It says this, be not conformed. The prefix con means with. Don't be with the world. Don't think like the world. Don't follow the, the, the way the, of the world. Don't be con with that, but be trans. Trans is a prefix that means above and beyond. Be transformed. Be lifted above. Go Get on the supernatural highway. Go above and beyond the natural, the carnal thinking. Why? Because that highway leads down, but this one leads above. And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hey, that's not magic. There's, there's some a mysticism to it. But how do you transform your mind by thinking differently? How do you think differently? By getting into this book. By being in the Word of God, by seeing what it says and, and absorbing it in the heart and appropriating here. And all of a sudden, I'm being transported to another place, another destination, another way of thinking because of that destination choice. I am transforming my life. I am transforming my, my, my marriage. I am transforming who I am as a dad. I'm trying to transform as a pastor. 
Man, I, I want to get to the best places in life, and I have to do it by transportation that is created by renewing of my mind because my mind is naturally carnal. And man, I need the Holy Spirit to guide me in my thinking. In between those stimuluses of life and this tiny space of omnipotence that I have, in between that response, man, I'm going to control my thinking there because I want to go to good places. I want to go to happy places. I want to go to a place of contribution and making a difference. In our homes, we have, in Oklahoma anyway, um, boy, the, your pastor's right, the temperature variations are crazy. In the same week in Oklahoma, we, we've had, um, you have 80 degrees, we had 81 degrees last week, and we had 25 degrees. You know, that's just, those, those swings are crazy. And so we have thermostats, you know, we have a heater and a AC and, and a heating system. So on the wall, we, we use a system called Nest, and it's just a little dial, and you, you set your temperature. It's a negative feedback loop, okay? It's, it's a, you set the temperature to determine the environment around you. Does that make sense? I'm, I want it to be 70 degrees. I want it to be 72 degrees. I want it to be 68 I dial it in, and there's a system that gets me there. I want to be happy. I want to make a difference. I want to love my wife. See, the temperature may be 66, but a little working time, you can get to 70. My marriage is at a 6, you can move it to 7. Dial a little more, a little more effort, you can get to an 8. I mean, I want to be at 9.9. Set the thermostat there. It won't happen immediately, but if you start changing this first, feelings will follow, and so will the life to come in the experience that you have. Setting your mind is a major part of the spiritual life. Setting your mind is like setting that thermostat. You have the power in that movement to create a desirable climate. And the problem is, is that an absent-minded person or person, person who's not intentional, it'll run unmanaged and you will not get where you want to go that way. You have to set your mind. There's a theologian that I like to read after. I'm going to apologize for reading a bit from him. But I want to ask you just to lean in and listen to what this man is saying about thinking and the power of it. He says, the prospering of God's people and the prospering of God's cause on earth depends in large measure upon God's people thinking well. It's impossible to think one way and then choose to do another. Our thinking has consequences and we are never free to reject them. They are axiomatic. We, we can't think and think and think one way and feel and feel and then all of a sudden respond differently without a whole lot of grace and hard work. Feelings live on the front row of our lives like unruly children demanding and clamoring for our attention. And it seems that some people never fully understand feelings are not reasons, but they must be put in check by informed thinking. Feeling... Feelings do not have to be satisfied. They must be governed. It is a step towards Christian maturity. It is a step towards a better marriage. It is a step to a happier life. When we step off the conveyor belts of feeling and emotion and take steps to avoid negative outcomes by changing our thinking in a positive way. And I'm here to tell you, if you fail to set your thinking, 
as otherwise intelligent people, we can do really dumb and stupid things. Because out of the abundance of the heart, mind, our mouth is going to speak, and we're going to get into trouble. So set the thermostat. Set the destination on Google. Where do you want to go? I want to be happy with her. I want to be a good dad. I want to help people. Okay, I can wish for it. I'd do better if I worked towards it. If I got things right in here, if I got instruction from this book, if I thought about it, if I God told Joshua, hey, man, don't, th- don't let the word of this, these words, you, know, you meditate out day and night because what you think is going to affect the outcomes of life. And this is my third and final point. Now, this is powerful, and this is scary, but it's incredibly hopeful, too. Our thinking shapes us. And I'm not being metaphorical here. Our thinking shapes us and who we are. God's gift of the mind, the brain, is amazing. The Bible says this way, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made in the image of God. I don't know all that implies, but that's overwhelming to me. Before you were born, the day that you were um, from conception to birth, your brain produced 2 billion synapses, neural connections that increase until about two years of age. Okay, well, <clears throat> a neuron. Our body is made of cells. Um, brain cells are called neurons. They're kind of star-shaped, got a great look to them, and they're all connected. They don't actually touch. And there's some fibrous tissue there, but they, what connects one neuron to the next neuron is a biochemical pathway. Okay? You all with me? So when this light bulb goes on, there's a connection between that light bulb and that light by this chemical. And when that one goes on, because that was in proximity, there's a little chemical that goes across that says you turn on, and then you turn on, and then you turn on. And there's this pathway that goes on that leads us somewhere to do some action. So like when we walk, we're not thinking about it, but these are these millions if not billions of neurochemical pathway, pathways are saying, foot, you do this, knee, you do this, muscle, you do this, you do this. And there's this, it's like lightning going from one place to another. I'm, this is being stimulated by my brain to say to do this. And all of a sudden, I'm walking. And now I'm talking. And, and now I'm thinking things. And all of a sudden, I'm doing things. And that's how life happens. It's through these biochemical path- pathways in the brain. Well, until recently, science thought a lot of these pathways were predetermined. Science told us that the brain really couldn't be changed. Once it was, it was, there was no alteration to it. But a new science called neuroplasticity, and really common sense tells us that it's not. It is moldable. It is changeable. We might call it proficiency. In other words, okay, um, there's a guitar over here. I'm not going to touch it. I'll probably break it. But there's a guitar over here. So what I could do is I could walk over here. And I could grab the guitar, and, and I could put it in my lap, and, 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 I could, and I could have an intellectual understanding. There's a piece of paper from me, and it says play G, play, play D, play A. So now what's going to happen is this. 
I, I have some understanding. I have some learning. So now I'm looking at these notes, and I'm going, see, that finger goes there, and this finger goes there. Now, this whole process to just make a, a, a G chord can take me time, right? D, A. Like, I'm trying to figure this out. What's happening there is I'm all of a sudden not going down that pathway that my body is used to, but now I'm creating a new pathway that started back here and is traveling down different neurons. It's connecting, connecting different neurons that weren't linked before. So now all of a sudden, after I do this, okay, boom, it's work, boom, more intentionality, boom, all of a sudden I walk up, I see the note, and I go G, D, F, whatever. What am I doing? I'm just not getting smarter. That's just a simple way to say it. What is happening is I am developing a neurochemical pathway that allows it to flow so much faster than it did before because of the habit of walking that way. And also I have a proficiency. Now I can play the guitar. I can play the piano. I can, I can perform athletic events like a Michael Jordan, whatever. It's not just that they're talented. It's that there is practice and there is practice and there is practice and there's practice that allows for proficiency. Are you with me? Because as a man thinketh and practices and does, so is he. And this is terrifying. So it's not just that you're acting mean. You are, because that's the pathway that your mind knows, and that's your default. Stimulus, mean. Stimulus, unkind word. Stimulus, negative expectation. Stimulus, don't like this. Stimulus, gripe. Stimulus, I'm out of the church. Stimulus, you get it? I'm in more control than that. <laughs> okay, you are. But it's like your brain's running downhill because of the practice you've done in that so long. Field behind my house, briars and weeds and stuff all in the field. Okay? I want to go over there. Between me and over there, there's a lot of junk. So what I do is I step here and I push down the weeds and I step here and I make a path and I step and I step and it's a battle all the way to the other side. Next day, I want to go over there. Well, I see where I went. It's not easy yet. I step on the brambles and the briars and I, I go. I know where I'm going and I get there. Next day, I want to go there. I got a path now. I see it. And I step and I go this way. And it's getting easier today. Walk over there. Okay? I don't want to be redundant. You get the point? And all of a sudden I look back and I see dirt on the ground. And before long, I walk out of my house. I don't even think about it. There's very little intentionality at this point. This is just where I go. This is the path of least resistance. This is the way it works. Biochemical pathways. But here's the deal. You don't like where you're going? You don't have to go there. 
Because we're not machines. We're people. We're humans. We're made in the image of God. And more than that, we have the grace of God and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. I don't like where this road's going. I don't like this downhill to sin. Every argument ends here. Every fuss goes here. Every time I'm unhappy, I go there. Okay. Fair. So choose the uphill path to happiness. Choose, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be nice tomorrow. And I'm going to tell you, it may be hard because the default is like an addiction. You always go there. But you don't have to. Now, that next step may be really hard for you to hold your tongue, but you hold it because you have that omnipotent state, space between stimulus and response where you can choose as hard as it is to step in the different direction or right direction. And it may not be easy for days nor weeks, and I don't want to be, you know, I don't diminish hope. It may take you months to change your character, but that's what character is. Reinforce positive biochemical pathways. I'm overstating it because there's spiritual application there too, but you get the idea. There's a biology here that supports what the Bible has always said. As a man thinketh, so is he. Okay, I'm going to smile again here. Enough passion. Moses told people, there's a path before you. You can choose blessing or cursing, life or peace. There's just space as a human, as a child of God, filled with the grace of God, that you can choose the destination you want to go to. It's laid out before you. Now, the road you choose may be hard because you've not been there a lot of times. By the grace of God and hard work, you can get there. So you know what I'm encouraging today? Choose to be happy. Choose to love her. Love me. Love this church. Love the Lord. It's not always easy. We just want a pill, want the microwave, we want the well-worn path. You might have to make it yourself, but you can. This is our roadmap. Follow it, and you'll be amazed a year from today what destinations you might arrive at. Our Holy Father, I thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.